0: that God created both men and women. Then, good morning, Rooted Fellowship. Hello. The past few days we've been, um, not, not really days, few months, we've been on the book of Ephesians. Um, and we were with Paul where he was unpacking the gospel. And then we, we stopped when he was about to look at what is manhood, what is womanhood, what is marriage, um, do, how are children supposed to be raised and how they're supposed to behave? So we then went to the beginning to look at the design of God when he created men and women. So that when we go back and look at manhood, womanhood and marriage, at least we will be having those foundations. So we are in a series called Beautiful by Design. So what we are basically looking at here is how God created things and how all of the creation is intended to be. So um, I'm actually going to pray for us. As, as you've seen, the, lo- the, 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 the passage is, is, is very long, so it's probably going to take forever. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll actually rush to the passage and we can start with the word of God. Let me, let me just pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. we we so humble and privileged that we can call you our Father. We thank you that you've reconciled us to yourself through your Son, Jesus, that you, you send him to come and die for our sin, that we can be reunited with you. And, and this truth, Lord, cannot be said enough because we are forgetful people. So we, we just pray this morning that your glory may fill our hearts and that you may open our eyes to see the beauty of your son. And Lord, I pray, I actually pray against all the destructive forces, um, the thoughts that may distract us from your word. I pray that you may help us to see how you intended everything to be created, to live, and also to glorify you and Lord, as we look this morning at manhood, we just pray that, Lord, you may you may really soften our hearts, Lord. It, uh, it's one of those sensitive issues in our society, and it is broken because we, as men, have not called us to, to step into. So we just pray for your Holy Spirit this morning to work in our hearts and help us see and above that, th- that you've called us to be. And we pray this for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the claims that we've been making for the past few weeks now is that God has designed everything in a certain way for a specific function and purpose. And above that, God has put some boundaries and limitations. But one of the oppositions when it comes to God's design. We see it mostly when it comes to the things of gender, or rather that, that gender roles. So in February 2014, Facebook announced gender categories and Facebook was extending beyond, beyond the male and female categories, which were already there for five years to say now they want to put more categories. Do you, do you know how much they added after that? 56. But on top of that, they added two more later on. And then there were, there were about 58 options to choose from. My name is Bonza, my surname is Machosi, my, my gender, hmm. So you had to choose now. <laughs> uh, and. Above that, they even included a blank just in case they missed your gender. Some of these genders, just to include a few of them, it's called a gender. Th- that's how I, sh- uh, I actually call it, but others they call it a neutroi or a neutrois. So these terms are used by people who don't identify themselves with any gender at all. They tend um, to either feel they have no gender, or gender, or a gender neutral. Some use s- surgery, or even hormones, to make their bodies to conform to this gender neutrali- neutrality. The other one is, uh, is androgynous, uh, which basically they have both male and female gender characteristics, and, and identify as separate, <coughs> or rather a third gender. Then you've got the non-binary, <coughs> which are basically people who identify as neither male or female. Dichotomy of which is the separation, um, or, or even male or female uh, androgyny in the middle. For them, gender is a complex idea that might better fit in a three-dimensional web. So. One of the gender researchers says that this new blank category helps to break down the socially constructed binary of male and female. She says it is better because it helps us to control what we have established socially, that we have constructed male and female socially. She then continues to to say because now gender has been constructed s- socially, we should try to move away from that and choose what gender we want to be in America in a city called um, Seattle there's a an annual gender conference I, I, it, it's called a gender Odyssey so it's been held there every year so this this Conference is international, so its it focuses on the needs and interests of transgender and gender non-conforming people. So it packs with thought-provoking workshops, discussion groups, social events, and entertainment. This one-of-a-kind annual gathering attracts people all over mm. the world to, to uplift them s- 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 so that they can learn about genders. And on top of that, they even invite kids, so that kids at a very young age, they will have an opportunity to, des- to decide which gender yeah. they want. So, all this is, is actually suggesting that in our opinion, we can decide. If you don't want to be female, you, you can decide to be male. Or you can decide not to be both. But my question this morning, is this true? The past three weeks, we've been looking at the design of God. That God has created everything. God created men to be men, female to be female. And he, he, he did that intentionally because he had a purpose for both men and women. And he also set some boundaries on how we can exercise our manhood and our womanhood. So our passage this morning is going to be definitely looking God's intended role when he created men. Next week, we are going to be looking at womanhood. So ladies, please do not miss up. Coffee will be served as usual. So let's begin by looking at verse 5 to 6. So there the, the, the writer of Genesis says "Where no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth. There was no man to work the ground and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. This is actually stemming from what we've been seeing before, that God is the creator. He's the one that created all created things that we see today. And above that, we see that God himself is a worker. So this is very different from the way that we view work today, you and I. We see it as a necessary evil to get to something else, like money so that you can go to holiday and so forth. But the third part is that this has caused two sides of work. Some say I work to rest and some say I rest to work. But neither of these two are biblical. God works and God rests. So resting and working down the same path. That's why we, we, we learned few weeks ago that God created everything. He was working, then he rested. He was working, Well, he wasn't working so that he can rest, and even today, he still works. So you will you actually hear people almost every Friday on the s- social media, sending all these video clips and photos we say, thank God it's Friday, <laughs> right? Some, some people, I must say, they really generally mean it, and they're thanking God that it's been a rough week, and God has carried them through. And some are uh, thanking God that it's been a very good week. But some, I think they're not. They're just using the name of God in vain. And they're not really understanding the importance, the role of work. If God is a worker, as we saw L- last week when we were looking at how God created us in His image, if He's a worker, if we to reflect Him, then we need to work. And we need to hold work in high honor as God does. But work also has its own limits. That's why workaholics, that's not part of what God has intended. So, if you remember from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to to, to 28, when God said, let us make men in our image. Verse 7 is nothing but echoing that God himself works. So, when he creates men, he creates him to also reflect that. Because God was intentional and he had a purpose for this. So when God created man, he breathed out to to the man's nostrils. That's what one said and he he used the the phrase, God deposited himself. Or man carries a divine deposit in himself because God himself breathed into him. But of course that doesn't make us little gods doesn't it? So, God creates an amazing home for the man and he calls it the garden on the east. Um, I really wish I can say in the east of Pretoria, but he, he actually placed him on in the east. And this is very r- r- remarkable. When we read Genesis, we quickly run over this. But we miss that God In a real sense, he fathered Adam. He created him and created a home. And took him and he placed him in that home. And he cared for him. He lived with him. So much care and love. Then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. And keep it. Remember that God Himself is a a worker. So, again, it makes sense that when He creates man in His image, He wants Him to reflect that. So, He takes Him and He puts Him there so that He can work. So, how does working the garden look like? Or what would it have been like for, for Adam to wake up in the morning? And work, so there are f- four things that I think they are very crucial. A gardener can do so many things, but just to capture four which I think embraces everything which a, a gardener does one it's nourishing for the garden, provides for the garden, and also protects against some threats, and also planning towards so Just to go back to the first one, the the most important thing which has to be nourished in the garden is the soil because it's it's the soil that feeds the plant or the plant gets most of its nourishments except for carbon dioxide from the soil. So today when we go to the shops, we look for the bags of manure with the NPK. That contains the nutrients which the soil wants the nitrogen, the potassium, and the phosphorus. And I- in Adam's day, all those came from the leaves which were falling from the trees because that's why Adam had to work and keep it. He, 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 he had to clean. And that itself forms a compost. If you've got green hands, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not every time that you need to go and buy compost. You can just, as you clean around your home, as you are cutting trees and trimming and pruning that you can use it as your compost and also water soil needs to be watered then we actually come to providing let us to do more with the plant. This is the real part really when the man has to work and keep the garden. the man has to collect the compost he has to clean the garden so that the plants are not so congested because plants breathe, because they are living organisms. They pull carbon dioxide in and they give oxygen out, so that you and I and the animals can get to breathe it. But if it's congested, that process is not as efficient. But also, the gardener has to find a good location where there is enough sunlight and also there is enough water, or maybe some plants need to be closer to the river. Then on protection, plants get infected. But this is an interesting one. If if you really have a a garden at home, I'll really challenge you on this one. Do you know that insects eat plants, right? And God in Genesis 1, he created insects and animals, and he said, I give you all the plants to eat. So when the insects are eating plants in your garden, they're not sinning, it's biblical. (laughs) So how you negotiate with the insects, I'll I'll, I'll probably presume that would be a sermon of another day. But you need to be aware of that. That insects, they're just doing what God said. Eat of the plants even if it sponsors garden it. <laughs> then the last part is planning to what? So a, a, a good gardener knows that that there are things that are called seasons. And season comes and season goes. So as the time to harvest comes, a good gardener knows that I have to be preparing seeds for the next season. They should be germinating. And also, sometimes famine comes, and you're supposed to plant even more crops to prepare for the famine so that you can keep, and when you cannot plant, at least you've got enough food. So why am I laboring on this so much, on these four points? It's basically, I believe, strongly, and as we'll see, God has handed the role and responsibility of a man in gardening. So these four things are the crucial responsibility of a man. And especially true be- because all God's creation was created to glorify Him and also at least to help us to see. When you see the stars, you don't say, my telescope is so amazing. I can see the the stars. But we are supposed to be in awe of God himself. And God, because he loves us, because he wants us to have the best, because our trust in him brings glory to him and delight and joy to us, He gave us the boundaries and limitations so that we can enjoy him fully. Think of a child that is still crawling. If you don't put that hedge around the bed, you know exactly what's going to happen. So in that same way, God has given us some limitations and specifically for Adam and Eve, he says in verse 16, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The the very important thing to, to say is that when God created man, he had been already putting boundaries and limitations even before that. We saw him creating the heavens and the earth and separating them the water on the earth separating it from the one above which we call clouds calling the sea to go to one side so that there is ground he's been doing that all along so it's not new now that when he, he comes to the pinnacle the most amazing of his creation mankind he still put those boundaries so he gives him trees. What we miss when we come here is that we miss that God gave him the tree of life so that he can eat of it and live forever. What we get stuck on is, why is there the of good and evil? We just wrestle with that, but we miss the major part that God wanted Adam to live forever. And he gave him the tree of life. So, in verse 18 to 24, I'll just read for us. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. There's not a man in this church. (laughs) The Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. <laughs> yes, yes. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bed of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed, it and closed up its, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. You see what the man says. This at last is born of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Ladies, if you are married and your man has never wrote a poem, okay, Uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked We're not ashamed. God uses, um, God sees that Adam is not alone. He didn't forget. It's just that it was the right time now to create the woman. And the woman is the most beautiful creature to be made. I mean, God created everything. I'm not meaning to build any walls of hostility here. (laughs) This is part of the verse that I use to humble myself when I become very proud. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but God creates everything. He creates man, mankind, at, at the pinnacle of that. But in creating mankind, he ends with the woman. Of which, of course, women are more beautiful than men by design. We've got a a different word for men to mean beautiful because men are also beautiful in their way. We say they are handsome. There's no man there. So then God parades all the animals before Adam. This is the most fascinating thing because at this time Adam is alone. Then God brings all these animals so that he can name them. But I think at the heart of that, God wanted him to see that there's none that walks like me, talks like me, or walk in confidence and in awe of God like me. And he just keeps them. He says, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Then God calls him to sleep and he creates women. And we'll see this next week. God calls... This new being, he's going to create a helper. In our culture, that's a very nullifying word, right? A helper is someone that doesn't have so much um, limpery like this, is not on the same standard as you are, right? That is a helper. But the amazing thing with God is that this is part of his names. God, the Holy Spirit, is called the helper. So women do not allow men to or anything or anyone to call you less because you are created after the attribute of God himself the helper with a capital letter H so God prepares a surprise for the man I don't like it, it's a surprises that much but he calls him to sleep, and when he wakes up, he brings the woman to him. Again, God is fathering the woman, brings the bride to the groom, and administers the first marriage. I'm just touching on this passage. We are going to talk about womanhood and marriage soon, but I think it is important see that because it has so much to do with the role of a man. Then God constitutes the first marriage when he says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one. So if you're single, remember that That you're supposed to leave who? Your father and your mother. That's so much against my culture. And I was um, challenged by one of my friends saying, no, God cannot be good if he says I should leave my family. But I I don't think that's what God says. He just says that now you are becoming one. And that one still has a, a family but you're becoming one. So remember the role that you spoke of, the characteristics of a gardener. Nourishing for, protecting against, providing for, planning towards. These characteristics are so important, not only with your garden, if you like gardening as much as I do, but it's important for all relationships, especially the relationship that we have with each other. Now let's see how Adam tried to to leave these characteristics or these roles out. So I'll I'll just read from verse 1 to 6. Then he says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to them in to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither you shall touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was so desired to make one wise, she took off it and ate. Full stop, right? It Does it end there? It doesn't end there. <laughs> because when we talk about the first temptation, most of the time we end there as the woman being bad, very bad than man. But Moses continues and says she took off its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So this is what Adam does. Remember that he's been living with God and he's been living with his wife, Eve. So he's clear about his role. But when the serpent comes into the picture, he sits and watches his wife becoming vulnerable. He sits and watches his wife being nourished with lies by the serpent. He sits and watches his wife going to the tree. maybe he went with her we don 't know goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and take and allow her to take off it and eat. even worse, not only is he helping his wife to commit to kill herself he also then commit suicide after that by also eating from the fruit then now what happened to all those roles as a man as I've said people really overlook the fact that Adam was there with Eve when he was tempted because the scripture is clear he was there with her he didn't come and say what have you done he was there but he did nothing. From what we see from his role, he was supposed to protect his wife from the deceiving serpent. He was to nourish his wife with the spiritual truth, the truth about God. He was supposed to provide her with safety and take her away from the deceiver, having seen that she's becoming weak and vulnerable and she's, she might even fall for a lie and he was supposed to be proactive in making ways to be ahead of the game and know when danger comes. That's part of planning. What I'm basically saying is that is that at this time, Adam did not act out his role as a man. The word that we use in our society is manning up. He didn't man up. Now, there's something that I just want to note about nourishing yourself or anyone with lies, as we see it with the serpent. Let's compare the words of God, the words of the serpent, and the words of the woman, Eve. What did God say, and what did the serpent say, and what did the woman say? They should be on the screen just now. So it's very crucial to see that if you start to doubt the truth, it's because there's something in you that you believe is better than what you have been told, right? Because you cannot doubt, if I, I'm telling you right now that you're here, are you going to doubt me? You will doubt me unless you think you are elsewhere. So that is the thing about doubt. And it's so nice that Moses actually captured it nicely, that the woman saw that the fruit was desired and it looked delighted, and it was looking delicious to be eaten. And the desire behind that was to be like God. So that is our greatest sin of trying to be God. Or like God. So we need to think about that a minute. And reflects of it that in all the kind of temptations that we come across, what are we telling uh, ourselves? Are we believing the truth that God has given us? Or are we rethinking what God said that God probably didn't mean that? What I'm feeling and desiring, that's probably the best. These things, when left unchecked, not pray for, not repentant, have serious consequences. As in case we we see it clearly from verse 8 to 10. Would you roll the last one, Carlo? So that is the God's word. Then the serpent tweaks the truth. He just changes it a bit so that it looks attractive. The devil, by the way, does know the Bible, um, if you didn't know that. When you read in the New Testament, the devil amazingly called scriptures to Jesus himself and tried to convince him of. So unless you really are acquainted with the word of God, of which we always preach every week, spend time in the word. You will believe anything that is everywhere. And our great influencer and teacher in our time is the social media. So it's either you believe what God has revealed here, of which we have every day, or believe that almost all of us here have a Bible or at least have an access to it because we are not being killed for reading God's word, But if we don't stick into it, we'll then fall for all these other amazing ideas which are out there. In chapter 3, verse 7 to 9, there are consequences. If a man doesn't man up, there are consequences to that. One, the relationship with God and man is broken. Let me read from verse 7 to 9. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What do we see there? Two things. First of all, they hide from God. So it tells you that that amazing relationship that they were having has been broken. So now there's fear and there's shame. And that's what happens when one doesn't man up. Because your role, a man is is not different from a guard, a policeman, you take what God has entrusted to you and you guard it either in your family or your friends. And you, help, and you help others around you to bring glory to God by basically living your own roles. Because if you don't provide for your family, if you don't protect them, if you don't nourish them, and if you don't plan for them, what kind of a family is that going to be like? The second thing is from verse 10 to 12. Not only the relationship between God and man is broken, what we call the vertical relationship. Also the horizontal relationship between men is also broken. So When we read in verse 9, he says, But the Lord called to the woman and said to him, oh, sorry, let me read from 8. And and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord uh, among the trees of the garden. Look at what God does. But the Lord God called to whom? To the man. And he said to him, where are you? And the man said, I, 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 I. Do you see those four eyes? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So already we are seeing selfishness resulting after disobedience against God. So it didn't take very long. Not long, because when God said if you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. He meant it. He wasn't bluffing. That's why we can take God at his word that when he promises something, he will deliver. But of course, because he's merciful, he's gracious, he did not cause them to die physically at that moment. But they died spiritually. Spiritual death is basically being separated from God. As they hide themselves, they were Can you imagine men trying to hide from God? That's very foolish. But that's what they opted for because they didn't know how to deal with this mighty God now because their relationship had been broken. So just to recap again, three things are crucial. When men do not step into the role of being a man. Not only their relationship with God is broken, but also their relationship with other people is also broken. And that causes the kind of world that we are living in, where men and child, where women and child are the ones who are most disadvantaged. Reason being, there are few men out there. There's a word which I learned of many years ago. It's called Ben. I call it Ben. It's B-A-N. So that word is a hybrid of boy and man. Do you get it? Ben. So a pen is a person who's very grown up but behaves like a boy. It's a person who's very grown up but it doesn't step into those roles. That, we call him a band. I don't want to be one. But in our, in our society, bands are the coolest ones because they're the ones that are everywhere doing everything else except what they should be doing. That's what our culture wants so that this vicious cycle of children and women being taken advantage of, it goes on and on and on. But of course, God God will not let that happen. So let's look at what happens when people break what God has said. When God calls up on the man I I God asked he says who told you that you were naked have you eaten of the tree of which I have asked you not to eat of then the man said the woman you gave to be with me she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate then the lord said to the ma- to the woman what is this that you've done, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I re- I'll, re- I'll recap this again. Can you see the blame shifting? The man, why, he was supposed to be the one who's protecting his wife. I mean, at that role, I'm not saying he was supposed to protect his wife. No one can protect anyone against God except for God himself. But at least he was supposed to acknowledge that he didn't man up and take responsibility. But he, he says to God, Is this a woman that you gave to be with me? Remember, earlier on, he burst with a poem, This at Last is the flesh of my flesh. And when he doesn't man up, he blames who? God, right? He says, Is this woman that you gave me to be with me? And the woman also says, it's the serpent that deceived me. Poor serpent didn't have to answer for that because God doesn't really give, doesn't have dialogues with the devil. Then the Lord said in verse 14, The the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your Pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to your voice to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cast is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So here, God has seen that men have sinned against him. And he said, when you disobeyed my word, you surely die. So now he's pronouncing the judgment. To the snake, he curses it to walk on its belly. To the woman, he doesn't only curses b- the process of of bearing children, but also the process of raising children. Saying it's not going to be easy. Notice that God. He doesn't say it's not going to be possible. He he curses it so that it becomes more difficult. And it's such things that has to remind us when we go through these things of raising kids. And as difficult I- as it is, we need to remember two things. One, we have disobeyed God. And two, but God is gracious. That he still allows us to have kids, and to the man, to the man, God curses two things, which are part of the man's role. One, it's providing. God curses the ground, and he says, out of the ground, you will reap on your sweat. I know that providing is one of the things that keeps men awake. And as men, we have idolized it instead of acknowledging it as our role. But what I want to say this morning is that providing is our role. It's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. But we live that out in the way that we nourish, we provide, we protect, and we plan for. And also to the ladies, Men aren't as strong as they think they are, okay? So when it comes to this issue, be, let me not say be sensitive, let me say be wise. Be the helper. Do you know what a helper does? The helper helps. Right? Mm. Yeah. So as much as it's difficult to provide in our time, But remember that God is the ultimate provider. And he does provide for his people. There are those times which are difficult, but he he always does. So I want to close by grace. You see why I'm calling this grace. From verse 20 to verse 24. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam, for his his wife's garment and skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden and placed the cherubim, which is an angel, and a flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. There's a passage in Romans um, that talks about the sin of Adam that has caused all of us to be living in sin. So, Paul says, Yet death ran from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like, can't see this side, well, was not like the transgressions of Adam. Who was the type of the one who was to come, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the gifts, and the free gift, by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of of that one man's sin, for the judgment, following one trespass, brought condemnation, but the free gift, following many. Trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and f- and the free gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So for you and I, as much as our great, 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 great father Adam, his sin. Has come into all of us, but there's another man that lived this earth. His name is Jesus, and he 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 modeled not just how a man should live, but how a human being should live, sinful, sinless. He nourished people not only spiritually. He was preaching in the homes, in the synagogues, I- everywhere, in the mountains. But also he fed people with bread and fish. He protected, do you remember, the prostitute which the religious people were trying to stone. He also protected hair, but in real sense, we are all prostitutes in a sense that we sin against God in all ways. And God saves us in our sins, in our rebellion. And he also provided a way for us to come back to God when he died for our sins. So what we read in Genesis, God protecting the tree of life he was stopping us from living in rebellion with him forever and and allowed death to stop us from living in sin forever so death if you look it from the god's point of view is a good thing that god doesn't want us to live in rebellion forever that's why he sent his son jesus christ to die that when he returns, we will rise with him and live forever in righteousness, not in rebellion with God. So one more, more word is just to say to the man, we need to go back to God in repentance, knowing that we have not been the kind of man that he wanted us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us that you have created both men and women with intentionality, that you want us to reflect and to bring glory to you in the way that you've created us with different roles. And Lord, we pray that what we have learned this morning, that you may put in our hearts and you may stay our minds, Lord, that we may always remember when we hear all these voices in the world that tell us what a man is supposed to be, that you, the creator of men, you also have your own intentionality. So we, we, we wish to repent, Lord, for not manning up, for not loving you as we ought to, for not loving our families, our friends, our communities, for not protecting them, against spiritual threats and against physical harm. We pray, Lord, that you may also help us to plan for our families, to plan for the kind of, of things that, Lord, you want us to do. And above all, to share those plans, Lord. And And we thank you for Jesus Christ, that he, he has shown us that it is possible, although it is difficult, to live the life that you've called us to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit may our hearts every day as men to live like you've created us to be in jesus christ amen